0: Oh, a wonderful world of lab testing. We're going to dive deep into the lab testing idea today in this podcast, especially the ones that your medical doctor is probably not running for you. Let's get started. Welcome to the What Up Doc University podcast, your number one resource for total body wellness. Here's your host, Dr. Mike. Hey, welcome back, guys, to the What Up Doc University podcast. This is Dr. Mike Okouchi again, coming to you from the What Up Doc University podcast. And today's episode, we're going to talk about all the lab tests that I think you should be running that's not necessarily being run by your medical practitioner. If they are, kudos to them. Now, I... I think the one big reason why these things aren't being run is because a lot of these aren't covered by insurance. And I know for a fact that if things aren't being covered by the insurance, most medical practitioners are not going to run it for their patients. And also most patients don't even want to pay for it. But these are the tests that are, in my opinion, that are actually more of a health predictor. and what you would like to call preventative medicine. I think that this should be covered. But, you know, I don't make these, uh, I don't make the laws. But I want to give you guys the information so that when you get these, you know, you get your physicals or lab tests done, these are some of the things that you can request from your practitioner. Or you can also order these on your own if you, or if you don't want to order on your own, just let me know. I can help you through um, through these things and navigate you through this mess. Let's get started. All right, the first test that I think people should be running is what's called the high-sensitive CRP test. And, and high-sensitive CRP is a measure and marker of inflammation. And as we know, inflammation is a silent killer. And if we can measure and if we can keep tabs on the inf- inflammation and inflammatory markers of our body, we can, we can basically know, hey, if we need to take in more anti-inflammatory foods and compounds, decrease the amount of things that we're doing to cause inflammation in our body. So high-sensitive CRP is something that, you know, I think should be on every single test. And some practitioners run this on occasion, but it's usually only warranted um, due to a symptomatic picture. Like, you know, if you're complaining of of a lot of inflammation or if you have some type of cardiovascular disease, um, they'll usually run this test. Problem is, it, it's it's run it's you know run as a test that will look at something that's already happened. So it's kind of like, you know, you showing up to a burnt down house and somebody telling you, "Hey, look, the house burnt down." That's kind of like when they run it. But if you use it as a preventative measure, using high sensitive CRP can you know dictate to you on what you need to be doing so whenever whenever you run it you want to see that level less than 0.5 milligrams per liter okay now if you have it higher than that say in the uh, ones or two ranges sometimes I see patients in the 10 ranges you know you want to make sure that you're changing your lifestyle and that you're increasing the amount of antioxidants in your diet you know the the dark green leafy vegetables the uh, the higher colored fruits uh, stuff that has like a a lot of polyphenols Uh, green tea is a great great source of polyphenols olive um, olive oil grapeseed extract these are great sources of polyphenols so you want to decrease the amount of inflammation in your body by first Stop doing the things that are increasing inflammation. You know, a lot of it has to do with sugar intake, um, voluntary things like smoking, alcohol consumption, stress, um, exposure to different toxins are are you know very much increasing the amount of inflammation in your body. So you want to stop doing those things and then do the things that will decrease the inflammation. So again, high sensitive CRP should be less than 0.5. Get this ordered now. So the next one that I think should be on everybody's list should be 25 hydroxy vitamin D. This is measuring the amount of vitamin D in your body. And surprisingly, this is a, a low number for a lot of people even though even though they're having a lot of sun exposure you know living in Southern California you would think that we have a lot of people getting a lot of sun there's more sun than you know than the rest of uh, of the continental United States um, but you know I see a lot of patients that their numbers are drastically low and I mean I treat patients out in Hawaii as well and they uh, they have low, levels of vitamin D. And a lot of people think that just because they're getting sun exposure that their vitamin D levels should be high. Now, remember that vitamin D is produced in your skin and then it's activated in your liver and then your kidneys. So even though you may be getting sun exposure, you actually may have a conversion process that may be impeded. So I recommend everybody getting their vitamin D levels tested. Uh, sometimes you'll see people in the stark low numbers in the teens. I like to see people above fifty. So fifty to about seventy-five nanograms per deciliter. The, that's the measurement markers. Okay, you wanna you wanna make sure that you're within that therapeutic zone. Now, if you're lower. Um, a lot of times your medical doctor will prescribe you some type of vitamin D medication, like 50,000 to hundred thousand IUs, and you're going to be taking it you know over the course of uh, you know, uh, maybe once or twice a week or maybe once a month. Now the studies have shown contrary to that. So the studies have shown that taking a smaller amount of vitamin D on a continual basis is actually more beneficial to restoring and maintaining, Proper levels of vitamin D. Now, if you are in the real low ranges of vitamin D, we're talking below twenties. I recommend you supplementing with vitamin D. You know, anywhere between twenty five hundred IU's up to five thousand IU's um, per day. Okay, I like there. There. There are some that are sublingual. You want to dissolve it and make it, and it's sublingual. There are liquid forms. Um, uh, I like actually the one from Thorn. Thorn vitamin, the vitamin D three, and and also, uh, yeah, whenever you take vitamin D, make sure it's vitamin D three, which is cholecalciferol, not vitamin D two, which is ergocalciferol. Vitamin D three is the active form, so it's like your, you know, the vitamin D that was produced in your skin, and and it went through the liver and kidneys to its active form, which is vitamin D three. And you want to, you know, you know, like I said, anywhere between twenty five hundred to four or five thousand IU's per day, and then you want to remeasure about a month or two later, and you want to make sure that you're getting up to a point. Because sometimes if you're in the teens, you're over over a month, you may only get up to about twenty five to thirty, but you're going in the right direction. So you want to get your numbers to about fifty to eighty. I also recommend. Uh, full skin exposure to sunlight on a daily basis for about 20 minutes to where your skin gets you know a little pink you don't want to be getting fried on a daily basis but getting some some type of sun exposure will help and aid with that so again get your uh, 25 hydroxy vitamin D levels tested here's another one that's commonly missed which is called homocysteine. Now, homocysteine is actually a byproduct of the metabolism of methionine, and homocysteine wreaks havoc upon your body, and one of the most common things that it does is it creates these little nicks in your arteries, and your body responds to those nicks by depositing cholesterol plaquing to cover up those nicks in your arteries, and then you you know, you leave that over time and the body creates atherosclerosis and then you, you end up with all kinds of cardiovascular issues. And it's all because of what's happening in your body with homocysteine levels. So homocysteine should be below about five millimoles per liter. Um, most people aren't getting this tested. And this is more of a predictor for cardiovascular disease than anything that I've seen, okay? Now, it's been a misnomer where people were told, well, cholesterol is the, uh, the predictor of atherosclerosis and, and cardiovascular disease. And, and that's actually not really true because it's just an effect. You know, it's, it's like when they've done autopsies and they've seen, well, these people died of clogged arteries and cholesterol was the main component of that, you know, clogging. You can't necessarily say that cholesterol was the main factor, It's just a bystander uh, because the body had to respond to the thing that was causing it, which was homocysteine. So when you have lower levels of homocysteine, you have lower nicking of the arteries, which then the body doesn't have to respond by depositing cholesterol plaques to cover it up, okay? So homocysteine is something that should be measured, again, should be below about 5 millimoles per liter. If you have higher levels when you get tested, some some patients come in, I see their homocysteine levels at 12 or 15, Uh, you want to do stuff that will decrease the amount of homocysteine and convert it back into a usable form in your body. So this comes through uh, stuff like vitamin B12, vitamin B6, folate, uh, foods that are higher in those are, you know, like the brassica family, broccoli, cauliflower, different types of sprouts, eggs are are really big in that, garlic, ginger, onions, any of the sulfuric foods, um, these will help decrease your homocysteine levels, okay? So that's very, very important for you to get tested, and you can request that. So all of these tests that that I'm talking about today, you can request from your doctors. Next on the list is keeping your blood sugar levels monitored. Now there are, are two th- two tests that I like to use, and, and you know and this these are actually more common tests. One is your fasting blood glucose levels. You know that's pretty standard in most tests, um, and the next one is HbA1c. That's the measure of uh, you know basically how your body's dealing with blood glucose levels. And another one is what's called your glucose tolerance test. So this is more of a functional test where it's pretty gross because you're drinking this like high-sugared solution, and then you're seeing how your body responds over time. You're basically checking your blood sugar levels over the course of you know, a couple hours or so. And that gives us a more functional approach in seeing how your body's responding to... Sugar intake. Now, with let me start with the um, glucose tolerance test. That you should see a gentle rise in blood sugar levels and then a gentle fall. Now, whenever you're seeing gigantic spikes and then you know gigantic drops, that's when we know that you're in that stage of metabolic syndrome, where your blood sugar is just skyrocketing and then it's also dropping really low. We want to see a gentle curve over time, rise and fall. Okay, uh, your fasting blood glucose levels. I mean, they, you know, there's various things that or, or various numbers that practitioners use. I like to see fasting blood glucose levels below eighty. Um, you know, optimal levels I've seen with patients is about seventy-five. Um, for for most people, they're coming in at fasting blood glucose levels and at ninety. And their medical doctors considering that to be normal. I don't consider that to be normal. That's that's actually on the, on the higher level or f- of fasting blood glucose levels. Um, HbA1c. Uh, I like to see that below five percent. Um, when you start getting over five, you know, in the six ranges, this is when they start calling you uh, a type two diabetic. Um, in correlation with their fasting blood glucose levels, if it's above one twenty five, so um, I've seen people in in the eight nine ranges in for HBA one C levels. So getting that below five should be a goal, and that basically comes down to lifestyle. You know, cutting out the sugars, eating eating a diet more of fruits and vegetables, whole food diet. Basically, just a lifestyle change, and and you'll see a drastic drop in that as you change your lifestyle. So, again, get your fasting blood glucose levels monitored, get your HbA1c, and then also to get more specific, you can do a glucose tolerance test. Oh, one of my favorites is measuring your pH levels because pH tells you so much about the, you know, the, the, effects of your or what's going on in your in your body how the cells are working if they're working properly because in a state of metabolic acidosis your cells actually don't function as well as they should be so keeping tabs on your ph levels um, is very very important i like to measure urine ph um I feel that that's a little bit more accurate than just measuring salivary. So I like to take the first morning urine reading because at, at nighttime is when your body's getting rid of a lot of acidic waste. So first morning urine uh, should be between about 6.5, 7.5. And you can easily do this by just you know getting pH strips and then peeing on it. And you can you know, match the color up with the color chart that it usually comes with the strips and it should be between 6.5, 7.5. Sometimes you'll see a variation uh, uh, that's really high. That means that your body's kicking out alkaline compounds um, or it may be really low where you 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 don't have enough of the internal buffering systems to um, to keep up with the demand. So, I mean, both of these are indicative that your body's pH levels are off, high or low. And one of the main ways that I tell patients to get their uh, pH levels back into balance is the consumption of magnesium. Magnesium is one of the most common depleted nutrient mineral in our bodies. And um, a lot of times we, we think, well, okay, if I'm low in magnesium, all I need to do is take a magnesium supplement. And you know, the studies have shown that we actually don't absorb magnesium as well through our gastrointestinal tract, because it's a, it's, a, it's a big mineral. So it's hard for it to pass through our GI tract. So the, the best way I tell patients to get their magnesium is transdermally through their skin. So either by taking uh, Epsom salt baths, that's a very easy way to do it, or using uh, a topical mineral, a magnesium oil, is actually a, a great way to get your magnesium in your body. Now, there's there's oral forms, you know. There's magnesium citrate, glycinate, uh, and, and you know they're they're actually fairly good. There's that one drink. I think it's called Calm. It's um it's a drink that you know basically calms your nervous system down. I, I tried it a few times. Actually, tastes fairly decent. Um, I did pretty well with it. I actually felt the calming um, <laughs> calming effects of, of of the drink. So. Uh, if your urine pH levels are off, make sure you're getting magnesium. Um, I also use, in practice, um, a, a supplement called Alkalite, which is formulated specifically to enhance your pH levels and getting you more into an alkaline state. And this has magnesium hydroxide in it. So it's like a double double whammy, you know, double, uh, you're hitting the you're hitting the nail with two hammers here with magnesium and the hydroxides which help neutralize the hydrogen ions which are causing more of the acidic damage in your body. Okay, So again, urine pH, measure it the first thing in your morning, should be between 6.5, 7.5. If it's out of balance, Magnesium is your best friend. The next test, which I can guarantee you most doctors are not running, is what's called an omega three to six essential fatty acid ratio test. This is measuring the difference between, or the ratio between, uh, your omega sixes and your omega or omega threes and omega sixes. Yeah, either way. Anyways. That is very important because predominantly in our diets today we are more omega six bases, and as you know, omega sixes are, are pro-inflammatory, which is going to raise your uh, CRP levels, which we talked about earlier. Uh, so having a higher omega three to omega six ratio is very important, and this basically comes back down to lifestyle. Now the the reading on that test should be above a percent. Um, that this is what we like to see, you know, in clinical practice. And if you are below that, I mean, some people are, are in like the negative ranges, actually, because they have so high omega six intake that they're, you know, it dwarfs the omega three content that they may be eating. Um, again, the other thing too, and this is another side note, is that some people I uh, I also see the exact opposite where their omega threes are really high and their omega sixes are are like you know non-existent you know because they they've been they've heard you know omega threes they need it you know you keep inflammation down that yada 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 and uh, then they go into the whole opposite range now there needs a balance because you need omega-6s as well but you need a specific balance of ratio and this basically goes back down to you know how we evolved in nature and the amount of what was you know we were eating you know as hunter-gatherers the um, the the meat that we were eating had a higher amount of omega-3s because the the i guess the game that you know they were consuming uh, grasses right you know bison and the cows and you know the ostriches and emus that we were eating had higher amounts of omega-3s in their body because they were being fed or they were eating i don't think anybody fed them at that point but they were eating grasses you know nowadays our 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 livestock are being fed corn and the amount of omega threes in, in in our livestock is actually pretty low in comparison to the omega sixes. So again, gotta get that measured. Yeah, it needs to be above eight percent. Um, if it's below that, you need to start supplementing. So you need to what, what Let me start with diet. Diet has to be more on the omega three basis. If you're eating a uh, uh, red meat, a lot of a lot of people are eating red meat that uh, are in the podcast, and that's actually a good thing. Um. I recommend that your red meat, your bison, your beef, um, you know, those should be grass-fed because grass-fed meats are known to have higher levels of omega-3s. If you are a fish eater, you need to be consuming smaller fish. Because then you decrease the amount of mercury toxicity that you may be encountering with the bigger fishes. Uh, For those of you who are vegans and vegetarians, you got to make sure that you're doing a lot more on the omega-3 vegetable seeds, uh, vegetable oils, as far as like flax seeds, uh, have higher amounts of omega-3s because vegans and vegetarians can also get get this ratio thrown off as well. So... Omega-3 to 6 essential fatty acid ratio should be above 8%, okay? If it's flipped, you got some lifestyle interventions to do. All right, this last test that I wanted to go over isn't necessarily even known to most practitioners. Um, I was introduced to this test uh, a few years ago, and it was—it's called the lymphocyte response assay, and this is basically looking at your immune tolerance, and and you basically don't even want any type of reaction um, in this test, and th- this test is you know—I mean, it—it'll it, show you all types of different things. Well, it show, uh, let me take that back. It'll show you one thing that means a t- whole. Type of all these things, right? Because your immune system's involved in so many different aspects of your health. One, it's defending you against, um, you know, foreign invaders. The other part is it, it you know, if your immune system overacts, if you got these autoimmune issues, you got inflammation, which is part of the immune reaction as well. Now, if you have an immune system that's just being bombarded with all sorts of toxins and all sorts of stressors then you're going to have, you know, a response to those things, which is why we're seeing so high of a rate with um, autoimmune diseases. And, and, you know, a great book that you guys should read um, is by Dr. Gundry called The Plant Paradox. And this is an amazing book. Hopefully, I can get him on the podcast one of these days. It's an amazing book that actually looks at, you know, what what we're doing by consuming plants in the improper way. Because basically, you know, to kind of sum it up, he says that plants have a protective mechanism because their whole goal is to create more plants, right? So if we're consuming them, they have these protective mechanisms so that, you know, there it's either some type of poison, which most of most of us have experienced, um, or these subtleties within it, and, and and I won't give away everything that's going on in the book, but you guys should read it. And one of the things that he, he alludes to in that is um, the consumption of plants and what we consider health foods is a major cause on why we're seeing these crazy immune responses in our body, you know, especially when we when we look at gluten and all of that, you know, stuff uh, that is that's affecting our gut and, and and the whole issue surrounding leaky gut has to do with the improper consumption of plants. Now a caveat to that and I want to say he's actually not against eating plants but it, it, he instructs you on how to properly prepare uh, the plants and ha- how to properly um, attune your digestive tract so that you are actually not getting um, an immune response to these things. And that's that's why I love this test is the, lymphos- the lymphocyte response assay is that it basically will give you an overall picture that will um, help you to realize what's going on on, on an immune level. And, and when, when you run this test, you don't want any type of reaction. And if it does, then there there are lifestyle things that you need to take take um, take account for. Um, and I can guarantee you, and I've seen this with so many patients, I can guarantee you that it's usually something that you are doing that you are thinking that it's it's good for your health. And you know that's the conundrum. I see so many patients come in and say, Doc, I don't know why I feel so ill. I eat healthy, I exercise, I do all these things for my health, and um, you know, you're on the right track except you're not doing the right things and you're not knowing what's going on in your body. So stuff like what we're talking about today on all of these different tests are are just a, a window into what's going on in your biochemistry. Okay, so I lied. Um, I, I want to give you guys some more things that you guys can play with. Um, is it right if I over deliver for you guys today on today's episode? Um here are a couple more tests that I think that is very, very, you know, imperative to your overall health and well-being. To to measure your your overall um, health and, and and these are predictive measures. One test that I highly recommend is measuring your hormones, and, and this is this is something that I I can't you know stress enough. But most people are actually measuring their hormones wrong. They're using just a uh, um, a blood test. I recommend, you know, if you wanted to step up one step above that is doing a salivary hormone panel. This kind of shows you the active forms of, of the hormones, uh, what's active, not just the total amount of hormones. So this is kind of like, you know, you I, I tell people, this is kind of like a principal going around and saying, well, you know, we got a thousand kids in school today. Well, that's great. All thousand are here. But the salivary form, the salivary hormone panel is like looking at the active forms of the hormones, which is like the principal saying, well, okay, out of those thousand kids that are in school, how many of them are actually in class, okay? So out of the thousand, maybe only 20 are in class. So it doesn't necessarily matter. You got a thousand kids in school if only 20 of them are in the classrooms, So the Salary Hormone Panel looks at the amount of kids that are actually in the classroom. Now, let's take it one step above that. One step above that is what's called the Dutch test. The Dutch test is a dried urine test, right? So what the dried urine test measures is how do these hormones get metabolized? So the way I like to look at it is, okay, out of those kids that came to school, how many went to class and then – how did they utilize what they learned in class? What did they do with it? That's what the Dutch test does. So you're, you're, with the blood, you're looking at the total amount of kids that came to school, salivary, you're looking at total amount of kids that went to class, and the Dutch then t- tells you what did they do with what they learned, okay? The Dutch test actually covers pretty much all of that. So that's usually the, the, the one test that we run as a hormone panel in our office to kind of just cover all our bases. And that'll show you things like if you have estrogen dominance, um, if you have high levels of testosterone, maybe indicating things like PCOS. Um, it'll show you other things you know, within your hormonal spectrum. Now, your hormones are communicators and messengers in, within your body that tells the cells what to do and how much to do it. And the most common thing that I see in patients is what's called estrogen dominance. And this is one of the leading things that creates uh, premenstrual syndrome, cramping, bloating, um, and all types of other types of diseases that we see in our society, all stems from an estrogen dominance. Um, And this is both for males and females. So this is something very important to measure on a consistent basis. So again, salivary hormone panels and Dutch panels. Now this next test is more of, uh, I wanna say, it's more of a luxury test. Um, It should be a necessary test, but it's more of a luxury test because it's kind of expensive. Um, And and I think that all the rest of the, the ones that I gave you today Um, those are doable. Um, I know a lot of it is covered by your insurance. And if you are paying out of pocket, it's actually affordable. This one is more of, you know, what I call the the Beverly Hills test, but it shows you so much useful information and really will guide you. If you really wanted to dig deep into how to optimize your body, this one test will kind of show you all of your gaps, right? It's called your organic acid test, and it's basically just measuring the byproducts of cellular metabolism. So, what I mean by that is when your cell is producing something, if it has to produce energy, there's all these steps that needs to happen. Okay, it's kind of like, um, you know, like a production plant where you have the manufacturing, and then it goes to assembling, and the assembling then goes to, you know, painting, and then um, interior and then you know final assembly and then distribution same thing happens in your body but along the way something may short circuit it right? and it's usually some type of vitamin mineral or enzyme that's not at you know at optimal levels or maybe in excess okay so when, when you measure the organic acid test, sometimes it'll show you, well, you know, XYZ is not converting into the next form. And it's usually because you may be deficient in uh, a B vitamin or you may be deficient in some type of mineral. And by giving that, then the body can convert from A to B. And if it's not, what the body then does is either shuts down production or it uses some type of – you know rerouting thing and that is usually the, the an adapt- adaptation and in your body doesn't really do well with that that's what we call disease this disease is an adaptation to what is you know what's in normal function so it's like if the the guy who puts the the tires on, if he doesn't get the right thing from the person who put the rim on the car, then basically they have to go a different route and and that just screws everything up, right? So the organic acid test gives you an insight and and clues onto what's what's the hindering blocks here. And then you can kind of take that picture and say, okay, well, I need to help improve detoxification. I need to improve digestion. I need to improve um, neurotransmitters. It gives you a big picture on your body, and then you can put together a game plan as far as diet, lifestyle, and then nutritional supplementation. And it helps you to opt. And it also it helps you to optimize all the things that we just talked about. So you may have um, higher levels of, like, say your HbA1c or higher higher levels of CRP, indicating inflammation. There are things in the organic acid test that will tell you well, here's why your body is not being able to lower your blood sugar or able to lower your inflammation. There is um, there is a mismatch in converting A to B. Or here's a reason why your homocysteine levels are high. Maybe you can't convert you know, vitamin B12 or folic acid into its active form. Or another one is here's why your um, vitamin D levels are so low, even if your supplementing. So you guys can kind of see that I like this test, but I know for a lot of people, it is a financial, um, it's high, you know, it, it costs a lot of money for the average person. But the information that you get from it is indispensable. And for some patients, this has been like the missing link for them that helped them to get over their chronic issue, because we were able to identify, okay, you needed way more than what Way more of this specific nutrient that you know that the RDA or even optimal levels you know were requiring. We knew that we had to bump that up just for a short amount of time to get the body to respond um, correctly. So, guys, these were these were the tests that I I, I wanted to share with you guys hopefully you guys got some great information from it hopefully you guys took some notes if you guys need to rewind this go back through it I know I kind of went through it pretty quickly. you guys can also check out the show notes that will have a list of the things that I that I talked about here today um, and then also also guys if you if you're loving what we're doing here please share this with your friends and family so that we can help get them to a better state of health and wellness. Um, please leave us a five star review on iTunes because that helps us to also get awareness. And uh, I also have another goal that we want to increase our listenership to double. You know, I said this at the beginning of the year and we did that and I want to double that again, guys, because there's so much people that can benefit from this information that my mentors have blessed me with. And I want to I wanna share that with the rest of the world. Um, another side note is that, you know, I'm currently... In about 60 65 percent way through with the rough draft of my first book and I've been talking about this for a while I wrote I wrote the the first iteration of it wasn't happy with it and then uh, brainstorming a few months ago uh, about what I should do and then kindly it dawned upon me the format that I needed to go with the book so that will be out uh, hopefully in the near future. I don't have a date yet because I'm still in that process. Um, it hasn't solidified for me yet, but I'm in the process. So uh, I will keep you guys posted with that. So thank you guys for all the messages and um, and encouraging encouraging me to put this project together. Uh, if you guys want to you know, stay in the loop with that, follow me on Instagram, uh, instagram.com forward slash Dr. Mike Okouchi, O-K-O-U-C-H-I. Uh, follow us on on uh, on Facebook. Yeah, most of you guys are on Facebook, right? So follow us on Facebook. You guys know where to find us. And also, guys, if you guys have any types of questions, feel free to email me at info at whatupdocuniversity.com. If you guys have any questions, you guys have any comments. Again, leave us a five-star review, and I'll see you again next week. Be well and aloha.